uncharted places of our soul. We will do this together and promise one another we won't stop until we are free. Liberation awaits. Today, freedom calls out your name. This is the way, the new way to be free. everybody let's get fired up we're one more week into our freeway series and I'm really really uh, excited about what all has happened Uh, we have heard story after story after story of just I mean I don't know any other better way to put it other than some real life change that's been happening around our church by folks who've both been a part of you know the Sunday morning experience but really getting connected into one of our small freeway groups and uh connecting and dialoguing and, and walking through and talking through some of the stuff in our life that, uh, that holds us back, that trips us up. And uh, it's just been really, really phenomenal to hear some of these stories. So we are, let's see, one, two, three. This is our fourth weekend. As Christy said a moment ago, we're talking about ownership. So what is ownership? Ownership is this weird thing that I don't even know if I like a whole lot. I don't even know if I really understand it a whole lot. But I know the opposite of owning something is not owning something. And in terms of our, our spiritual growth, in terms of us finding freedom, uh, we can't ever be free. We can't ever be sort of unlocked or unchained or let go to grow until we figure out this ownership thing. The beginning of this last week, um, I was telling Christy, talking to her, by the way, what a phenomenal job my wife did last week communicating. I was away preaching, speaking at another French church, but she was awesome. And uh, I just want to say I'm I'm a a lucky, lucky man. Uh, I have a wife who not only is gifted, but I just want to say that my wife is someone who really, really has learned to lean on God's Word. She has uh, a great growing, growing uh, desire uh, to, to know God's Word because it, it just, it, it's really, really transforming my wife. And uh, she puts me to shame most times, um, but I'm just really thrilled to have, have, have my bride share with you last week, and I was thrilled to hear how awesome last week was. So, um, but I want to talk to you about this idea of ownership today. And so I, I was talking to Christy earlier in the week, and I said, babe, you know, the, the conversation this Sunday is going to go towards the ownership piece. And I'm not so sure I really, really readily get it. Um, I, I think the idea of this ownership thing is to really be free, you've got to own it and not blame somebody else. And I said, I don't really blame anybody for my stuff, right? I mean, I don't know that I look at a problem I have and I go, it's that guy's fault, and I said, so I'm, I'm having a harder time coming up with a real-life application. <laughs> Don't ever do this at home. I'm having a hard time coming up with an application of, of how I might ever do that. And I, Can you help me think of one? And she, she was like walking to the kitchen all of a sudden. She's like, stop. And she's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, are you kidding me? She goes, every time you ever get mad, you blame it on me. You always say, well, I'm mad because you provoked me. <laughs> and I'm like, I should have never even gone there. This is terrible. So I'm, I'm re-iterating, re, uh, re-explaining what I was trying to come up with, and my wife was readily available to point out areas where I don't own stuff, where I readily say, 
it was somebody else's fault. And I was, I'd just been racking my brains all week. And all of a sudden, it's like all over the place. I'm realizing so many times I'm not owning it. And I'm in, in large ways and in small ways, not wanting to assume ownership. And I just want to say that for many of us, I'm telling you, a lot of us, whether you grasp this or not, and I hope, I hope to unpack this today to where you can grasp this and we can really see that the only way we'll ever truly find freedom, like where, where God wants us to experience like ultimate awesome experience with Him, we've got to take this next step and, and grasp this ownership thing. Now, um, I was talking to a guy not long ago, and I remember him sharing with me that when he was a kid, T-ball days, he had this knack for getting on base, but he never really batted. He always took and, and just hoped that the young pitchers back in those days couldn't throw strikes, and he would walk. He'd just get on base. And then we were talking about this thing, and it kind of dawned on me, a lot of us go through life like that. We're we're going through life, and for a lot of us, we don't even know what it feels like to take a swing and crack that ball and, and hit it far, or hit a double, hit a home run. Most of us are looking at this whole God thing, this freedom thing, like the kid standing at base just hoping to, to get walked, just hoping to get on, on the bag. And for a lot of us, many of us, we're really missing what it's like to be free, to really feel free, be free in Christ. So I want to I take a, a, a bit of a page and step back here and just share with you some, some unfortunate truths about life. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to doodle on the board here this morning. If you notice, I was over here sneakily uh, while we were doing our little uh, announcement welcome time that Christy was uh, here for, and I was fixing some of the pages uh, that I had doodled on previously, and I forgot to tear them off. So did anybody see me over there kind of like doing stuff. Good. Some of you guys didn't, but some of you did. Um, so I want to talk about some unfortunate truths of life. Uh, some things that are just, you know, as one of my friend calls them, like bummer, bummer dude, like realities. You ever had a friend come to you and say, hey man, my car just broke down. And all you can say is like, hey man, bummer, bummer dude. Or like, hey, my dog just died. Dude, that's a real bummer, right? And I know it's like California, California kind of conversation or South Florida where I was from. Anyone still say bummer? anymore. I know I don't say much any, anymore either, but uh, I, I used to back in the day. But all right, these are some, I want to give you five unfortunate truths, things that we can fight against, but they're just, they're true. They're facts of life. They're just straight up realities of life. And you're going to love these because they're so encouraging. But these are the five unfortunate truths of life. You can't read them. I'm going to walk, walk you through them this morning. All right. First one is this. Life is unfair. How many of you guys realize that that is a fact of life? Life is just unfair. You know, when you're young, you begin to grasp that when you're young. Like, stuff doesn't go your way, bad stuff happens, mom and dad divorce. I mean, a whole litany of things. But we, over time, you know, you live long enough, you're going to come to really understand that life is just unfair. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it just is what it is. Life's unfair. The other thing that we learn, and it's unfortunate, is that people will hurt you. People will hurt you. Um, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that because we're flawed, our flawedness, you know, infiltrates other people's lives. Like I look at my parenting, 
And I go, I'm hurting my kids because I'm flawed. And I don't know what to do to, you know, to get it all perfect and right because I pass on you know, flawedness to my kids. We live in a flawed world and people hurt people. It's just, it, it's what happens. Um, another unfortunate truth is that yesterday is gone. How many of you guys realize that you can't redo yesterday? As much as I would like to, as much as I would like to do something better than I did yesterday or, or really solve something that I just blew years ago, yesterday's gone. We can't get it back. That's, that's some of unfortunate truths. Another unfortunate truth is, is understanding that we are not in control. Huh. We're just not in control. I, used, I really used to believe I was kind of headstrong, kind of still am headstrong, believing that I could put my hands and, and make and will and figure out a way to make something happen. And, and, and some of that's your gift, and that's great. We applaud that. Some of you A-type people out there, we're the hardest ones to grasp that ultimately we're not in control. We're really not. Life sometimes just happens, and we can't control it. Lastly, and this is just a sad reality, you're going to die one day. Come on. All right. Yay. Woo. All right. Welcome to my church. Glad you're here today. You're going to die one day. Here, but you know, and these are unfortunate, but as a Christ follower, the flip side of these truths are life's unfair, but you know what? God works all things for our good. That's scripture. That's truth. Uh, People are going to hurt you, but you know what? God will never leave or forsake you. That's scripture. That's truth. Uh, yesterday's gone, but you know what? God's in, God's in control, and he knows our future. His, his plans are to prosper us, not to harm us. That's in scripture. That's truth. You're not in control. I just said we're not in control. We know ultimately, good news is God is in control. God is in control. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's not been kicked off. He hasn't, like, fallen asleep at the job. God really is, always, is in control. And then lastly, you're going to die one day. The great news for those of us that have, you know, received Jesus or given our hearts to him or said yes, just yes to Jesus, we're not going to die. The scripture says we will live forever, right, forever, through Christ because of what he did on the cross and him raising from the dead. Those of us that are Christ followers in Christ, scripture says we'll live forever. We'll live forever. And that's, that's some unfortunate truths, but there's some sobriety. There's, 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 let's add God to this picture, right? Let's add Jesus to this, this picture. So for us to find freedom, for us to, you know, let these sober realities sink in, and for us to take the next step this week in this idea of being, being free, we've got to look at this whole ownership piece. So, so we've got to get to the place where we can look at our life, and really understand, like we talked about last week, discover where we're at, but then own them. Not place blame somewhere else, in which I think probably many of us, many of us are like, like me. I don't really capture or grasp the multiple in many ways that I don't own it, that I do kind of skirt around some realities of where I'm at and skirt around some some things that are hidden down deep inside and want to pass it off as, ah, I'm not really, you know, it's not really my problem. It's really their problem. So I want to show you some truth. I want to show you God's Word. I want, to, I want, I want you to look at um, Genesis this morning. I want you to just, if you've got a Bible, open up that very first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, 
Use your smartphone. Just look up Bible apps and download it real quick or share one with someone next to you. If you can't do that, we'll, we'll put it up on screens for you. Move this over just for a moment. I don't think I'm, I'm not in a good spot for any of you, so if you have to, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll shuffle it around if it's uh, in the way or cumbersome for us. But I want to show you Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you that if you want to be free, um, you've got to take ownership. And here's, here is the, the very beginning quintessential uh, first man and woman, first couple, first human beings on the planet. And we see this as something that is like right out of the gate, something that just comes out that's like basically just part of, part of our DNA. Um, so here we go. Genesis chapter 3. It says, The serpent, who was the shrewdest of all the wild animals... The Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman. If you guys know this story, you know that the serpent is ultimately, you know, a picture of Satan. And actually Satan, like, embodied into a snake. And the slithering, you know, Satan sneaks around and uh, botches up um, the very beginning of, you know, Adam Adam and Eve's life. And they go on and life is different after, you know, sin and junk enter into the world. So prior to that, God's like, Adam, you're man, Eve, you're woman. Man, this is going to be great, and here's what I want you to do, and here's all the wonderful things you can do, and here's one thing you can't do, right? So Satan enters into the picture and begins to distort that. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat uh, the fruit from any of, the, any of the trees in the garden? Like, did God say you couldn't eat? He's trying to, you know, subtly say something negative of God, to God about God to Eve. And she says, of course, of course we may, we may eat from the, the, the trees from the garden. We can eat fruit from, from all these trees except, and the woman replied, it's only the one fruit or the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God, God said, you must not eat, uh, eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you will die. That's a truth. <laughs> God said it. It's truth. You know, bank on it. Believe it. God said it. That's what was said. But notice how quickly a truth is forgotten. Verse 4. You won't die, the, certain, uh, the serpent said and replied to the woman. So he's speaking out against what God said, which she knew to be truth from God. And he says, you're not going to die. God knows that your eyes really will be open. And as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You're going to gain all this stuff if you go against that. He didn't really mean that. Slippery, sneakily. And it says in verse 6 that the woman was convinced. Now, I think this is funny how quickly we can hold on to a truth and then lose it. Isn't that kind of comical? I mean, I never really saw it like that. Like, wow. She had this truth and then quickly just a slippery, subtle, off-color, tailor-made exactly for her lie and she has forgotten the truth and that's exactly um, what we talked about the last couple weeks Satan is a master master deceiver he's been doing it his entire life and he's crafted his his craft is is impeccable Uh, so it says she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, 
and he ate it too. I think it's I think it's really really wild that it took Satan himself. Get this, it took Satan himself to deceive the woman, but it only took a naked woman to deceive man. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just calling it out, right? I'm just calling it out, men. We are. It only takes that, and we can we can really get our lives messed up. So, so at that moment, I love. I, I think the Bible is, is is hilarious in some ways. I mean, the truths that come out of this. I mean, it's right there. It's, it's wild. At the moment, their eyes were opened. Like all of a sudden, boom! Their eyes were opened, and then suddenly. They felt shame. Here's this word. We've, we've kind of alluded to it, talked about it from week to week. But can I just tell you, shame is probably the absolute worst, worst thing as it pertains to the relationship with God. I think it's shame that our enemy uses to guilt us and shame us away from God. Look what happens here in the story. It's not necessarily the wrong that they did that made them want to step back from God. It's another slippery, subtle lie of the enemy in all of our lives to guilt us and shame us because all of a sudden their shame made them feel naked. They, all they ever knew was naked. We know clothed. They knew naked. Naked was cool. Naked was fine. All of a sudden they felt shamed. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, as he often did, as he often communicated and hung out with them. And it says, so they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. And that's what shame does. And then the Lord called to the man, Adam, where are you? And he replied, uh, I heard you walking, or he, God's continuing to, to say, I heard you walking in the garden, oh, Adam speaking, excuse me, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So when we blow it, we often do this. We often take matters into our own hands. Notice he said, so I hid. When we blow it, oftentimes we go hide. We go take matters into our own hands and try to solve things on our own rather than taking them to God. God wants us to come to him when we blow it. God wants us, when we come to realize some of these sorry realities of life, God wants us to run to him. When we, when we run into some of these struggles and these realities, God doesn't want us to hide. God, want us to, God wants us to like, hey, I did it. Come clean. God, I want to run to you. But the enemy shames us and throws in guilt. And in that moment, if we hide, we've just allowed some separation to happen here. And there, you know, separation anxiety from, you know, from kids and parents. Ever heard of that? Separation anxiety? I mean, you, you guys drop off kids here before and there's a little separation anxiety? Yeah. How many of you guys have separation anxiety as, as a parent leaving your kid? I think God's the same way. We're wired in His image. I think God has separation anxiety when we're shamed and we hide from Him. That's why He pursued Him in the garden. He wasn't out to say, you blew it, I'm after you, I'm going to crush you. No, it's like, you've already got someone trying to crush you. He, he's, he's the enemy. I'm God. Remember, I, I, I gave man woman. Awesome. I gave woman man. Awesome. I gave you all the, all the wonderful garden. I'm God, I love you. But they hid from God because they were lied to. 
So all of a sudden in verse 11 it says, Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I'm sure he already knew the answer, right? He, God's God. He knew. And the man replied, this is funny again, It was woman you gave me. It was the woman you gave me who, who gave me the fruit and, and I ate it because she made me eat it, right? And then the Lord asked the woman, What have, what have you done? Uh, the, the servant deceived me and he made me do it. I mean, Here's what's crazy. This happened factually. It's a fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world because of this sin. Because, it says in Scripture, because of one man's sin, one woman's sin, sin, junk, decay entered into the world. We have a broken world. We have a world that is broken flawed. We're a part of it. So what I see in this scripture is, is, is three big things, three important things. First off is, is this. I want to show you this this morning. So we see some things happen right out of the gate out of this passage. First we see, uh, number one, sin happen, right? Sin happen. Then we see, what else? What, what's the next thing that happened? Sin happen and then what they do? They felt shame, right? They, they sinned. They felt shame. And then what happened? They, what did they do? They blame. You see that? Sin plus shame, oftentimes for many of us, means blame. So all of a sudden here, sin enters in the world. They're experiencing, they're experiencing this shame, and then all of a sudden, they start blaming. They blamed each other, right? Yeah, they hid, but I mean, this, this, is a, this is natural. I mean, it's in us. We see that, number two, that blame is hardwired in us. You have never, ever had to teach your kids. No one sent your kids to school to teach them how to blame somebody. <laughs> I mean, my kids, I mean, I love my kids. I want to believe that they're perfect, but they're not. They're, they, they were born in the world that I was born into. Sin and shame, and they got the blame thing down. No one taught them. No one had to teach me to blame. No one, no one... No one had to. It is hardwired in us. We're, we, were, we, were, we got it from birth. We got it from pre-birth. We got it from the first original originators of this, this dilemma that we're in. So, I mean, here we got, we have, have it, the sin, shame, they begin to blame. We understand blame is hardwired in us. But here's the truth of the matter, is that blame, and here's something I really want us to know, Blame, I want to say it the way I've been saying it, avoids pain. You know why we do it? You know why we blame? Because it helps us avoid pain. Do you know why my wife reminded me <laughs> Monday that I oftentimes will, when I get upset, 
that I point her out and say, you know, my issue with getting angry is not really my issue. You're, you're the problem. You provoked me. You like provoking me. You like to do this to me. It's your fault I'm mad right now. When you say it, when you're not in the thick of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But have you ever done something like that? I'm, I'm thinking through about a bazillion ways, small and large, that I do this. Do you know why we do it? Because it helps us to deflect what's really going on inside. Most of us don't want to slow down long enough and really say, I have junk. There are really problems. Do you know why? Because I don't like that part of it. I don't like it. It's painful. It's painful for me to admit that perhaps I have an anger issue. It's painful for me to admit, and I tell you, the better part of my life, I had no clue that losing a mom at 19 had any effect on me whatsoever. Just gloss over that stuff, no big deal. Just keep running, running, running. Ignore, 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 and I'm no counselor, right? But I can tell you there's about you know, several things in my life that, that, are, that are difficult to slow down long enough and really look at that are, that, are, that are issues for me. Control issues, fear issues, anxiety issues, anger issues, just issues. Anybody like me got issues? I got issues. But I, I, I want to say this to you. Our pasts, my past, doesn't have to define me. It can refine me. God wants to use our past to refine us. Do you know when he pursued Adam and Eve in the garden? He, he wasn't pursuing them to squash them. He was pursuing them to forgive them. He was pursuing them to, to showcase the very first model of love. And from then till now, God has been pursuing us. But the enemy is a master liar, a master deceiver. So what do we do? We hide. We deflect. We avoid, avoid taking ownership of it. And I want to say this today. If you, just, if you only hear one thing, you can't be free if you don't own it. Can't do it. Can't do it. If you're, if, you're, if you're in a freeway group right now and tonight's discussion gets started, you know, this, this, is, this is quintessential for us. For us to really grow, for us to really move forward and understand, I mean, the, the magnitude of a perfect, holy, generous, sacrificial, good God to want to be in relationship with us is hard to comprehend when we've got this whole I didn't do it thing going on. And that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And if you and I can get to the place where we understand that our past does not have to define us, it can refine us, then we can take some steps to change. Isaiah forty three nineteen says this. It says, See, I am doing a new thing. 
Scripture says God is doing a new thing. And He wants to do a new thing in our life. God wants to do a new new thing in your life. Whatever you're stuck in right now. And everybody's stuck in something. Everybody's got some crutches. Everybody's leaning on something. And God's going, no, 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 get rid of the crutch. I want you to run to me. I want you to lean on me. Can I tell you, years, years of my life, I had all kind of crutches. Christy was a crutch. In some ways, I made Christy my God because I was like, lean on my wife. Lean on my dad. Lean on my mom. Lean on somebody else. Lean on, I mean, whatever it is. Whatever it is. We have all types of substitutes. And God says, listen, substitutes are just that. They're substitutes. They're not me. I'm the real thing. God wants to invade your life and make, make your life brand new. He really does. The enemy says he can't. Just like he said to Eve. Just like he said to Adam. He's a master liar. God says, yeah, I can. And I will if you'll allow me to. Now, some of us, you fell in a pit. You fell in, you fell in a hole. And it sucks. And you've been there. Can I just tell you, quit digging. <laughs> quit digging. God wants to bring down like the ultimate like ladder, but you've got to put legs to it. You've got to put legs to it. You've got to start coming out. God, thank you, and I'm going to start pursuing you. Thank you, and I'm going to start owning my actions. I'm going to start owning my hurt. I'm going to start owning and not being, you know, a victim or whatever else. Let me show you this this morning. I want to walk you through two categories of where I see many of us are at. Um, when you think of ownership, this is what it looks like. We have two types of people. We have the under, under owners, not to be confused with under armor, under, uh-oh, I misspelled that, Un, U-N-D-E-R, under, gosh, that's terrible. I have terrible writing and spelling when I'm trying to spell in front of people. Under owners, all right, under owners, they look like this. They under own um, the stuff in their life and how they've been hurt. They under own um, how I've been hurt. They pretty much are more or less like the victim types and they underown. This is a pie, by the way. They 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 think through the lens of, you know, all this stuff's happened to me, and they underown what's happened to them. They underown this in such a way that the bulk of the time they're thinking more about how they've been hurt. More about how they've been hurt than how they've hurt others. And how um, they've been hurt by others. No, they think a lot about that. So how I've hurt others. Yeah, is that right? Let me just double check. How I've hurt myself. They don't think about that a whole lot. tracking under owners think more about how i've been hurt and much less about how i've hurt others or others or how i've hurt me that's the under owner they under own it but then you have the flip side you have the over owners 
guys know what they do. They overrun it. They think way too much about how they've hurt everybody else. They think all about how I've hurt others. And this, these, these people shame themselves to death. Man, I am an absolute whatever, fill in the blank. I've hurt others. And they don't think a whole lot about how they've been hurt. Put an in on there. They don't think a whole lot about how they've been hurt or how, um, how they have um, you know, been hurt in varieties of ways. So that's the over-owners. And here's the truth of the matter. Um, whether you're an under-owner or an over-owner, with all of our pain and all of our struggles, what we've got to remember is that God can cover all this with His grace. God wants to cover all that mess, all that tension, all that struggle. All that blame, all that under, all that over, God wants to cover it with His love. He wants to cover it with His grace. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to. He wants. He wants us to run to Him, so we can show His grace. And that's just. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? It's counterintuitive because what happens when we blow it with somebody? What do they normally do? <laughs> They're like, "You're an idiot. You're a jerk. I can't believe you did that." Well, we're flawed. We can't think of God through the lens of our imperfection. We have to think of God through the lens of who He really is, through God's Word. We got, God wants us to understand Him as a holy God, perfect God, but a perfectly loving God. God wants us to take our junk and let Him give the ultimate forgiveness and grace to our mess. And for us to take this next step of really understanding, we've got to kind of walk through a question here. The question is, do I want to get well, or do I, do I really just want to be right? <laughs> do, do I want to get well, or do I, want, do I want to be right? How do you guys have ever been in a car accident before? Car accident? All right. When you have a car accident, who's the first people you normally call in a, in a car accident? All right, you call two, two types of people. This is a badge. You call the police. Who else do you call? You call, you call car insurance. All right, you call the police, and I'm going to say you call the ambulance. But car insurance, we do call them too. But that's not for today's example. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong answer. All right, you call the ambulance. All right. What do these guys do when they show up? What do the police do when they show up? They help you figure out what? Who's at fault, right? You guys know where I'm going? These guys show up and they have, they help us figure out who's right and who's wrong. The thing we've got to start doing, we've got to let that go. We gotta let go who's right, who's wrong. We gotta let it go. This right here can rob us of everything. 
God wants us to get to a place where we are calling the ambulance and not trying to solve it on our own. It's in us. It's hardwired in us. I had a guy I used to work for many years ago, many, many, many years ago. And I would show up to meetings, and these meetings felt like the first 30 minutes were trying to figure out who broke or who messed up or who didn't do something right. And it was just like, this is the worst meeting ever. We already know is broke. How do we fix it? How do we solve it? How do we move forward? But I'm telling you, it's in all of us hardwired for us to just be police. And I love our police. We have several in our church. But not when it comes to growth. Not when it comes to finding freedom and ultimate, like, connection and, like, just, you know, lenses wide open, eyes wide open to the reality of this amazing life through God. So the question is, do you want to be right or do you want to be well? I'll end with this thought. There was a guy back in Jesus' day. He was, he was lame. He couldn't walk. And every day he'd scoot himself down and sit by what was kind of known as this like healing water area where people would, would think if you go down there, you get healed in this water. And every day this guy would sit there because he's lame he couldn't get down to this little pool of water. And I've been there in Israel. I've seen it. There's these huge, massive, like, four-foot steps. I mean, this guy goes off this step. He's going to tumble and break other things. So one day Jesus shows up, and he asks the guy. He goes, do you want to get healed? Do you want to get well? And the guy said, uh, I, I can't get down there. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Do you want to get well? See, the, this guy was kind of like, using his brokenness, his flaws, the, the, the parts of his life that were jaded and messed up is maybe his excuse or reason for not getting well. And all Jesus wanted to know from this guy is, do you want to get well? And the answer is just simply yes. Yes. See, this whole God thing, it's not complicated. It really isn't. It really is not. We have a Savior who showed up in our world. He was beautiful. I know that's not a, a word for the guys. Beautiful. Like the Rocky Mountains, but better. With a patch of snow here and some rocks and some awesome trees. I mean, like, just think of like God's creation. God showed up as Jesus. Beautiful majestic, the king, perfect. And he saw our mess. And we try, we're, we're trying to ignore our mess. We're trying to act like it's not that dirty. It's not that bad. But he saw our mess, saw our dirt. He became dirty so we could become beautiful. He became hideous, hideous. You know the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? You know the word hide comes from hideous? He became hideous to make us whole. And all he wants us to do is just, yes, yes. He's hungry, hungry is a bad word. He's searching and longing 
to be in incredible relationship with you. And all he wants is a yes. Yes, God. God, I need help. Here God is. Here's the ladder. Yes, yes, God. Yes. Yes. Let's pray. God, I don't even know how to apply this other than we just know that you love us and you want to be in relationship with us. And God, I just thank you for the fact that this is not complicated. Life is complicated. You're not. It's just a story of a God who's been redeeming his kids. God, it's just a story of a, of a son who recognized he'd blown it and is coming back to his dad. And I pray for every man, every woman in this service, every child that perhaps is here. And I ask God you would, you would help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear. God, help us just to get to the place where we recognize that we need you. We just need you need you. God, we love you. God, in this next moment, we just want to say thank you. We just want to take a moment and reflect in these next couple songs and just worship. Just say thanks. God, thank you for giving your life and making me beautiful and making me whole. Amen.